You've spent an entire career fighting fires and rescuing the injured, sick, and dying. But that's all over now. What do you do when the sirens stop, you've hung up your gear, and you walk out of the firehouse for the last time? What do you do with your life when the smoke clears? Welcome back to When the Smoke Clears. I'm Russell Miles, and I'm here with Tony Bencosme, and we're coming to you with our very first interview with our very first guest, and Tony's going to tell us a little bit about who that is. Thanks, Russ. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, to introduce this guy. He's, uh, he's been, he's been uh, quite an influence on my career, I, I can tell you that much. Our first guest, uh, retired battalion chief from our public safety Academy. Uh, 34 years in the service. I forgot to mention that. 34 years retired. He just retired recently. 34 years of service. Uh, he was a member of the Collapse Rescue Team, uh, Mer- uh, Montgomery County's Collapse Rescue Team. Also a member of uh, Maryland, Task Force One, Maryland Task Force One, which is uh, a FEMA deployable team across the country. Uh, that team also um, was deployed to 9-11. He was long enough. He, he actually went down to the Pentagon and was uh, part of that whole deal which is a good experience to have. He was an instructor at the PSTA for several, several years, uh, was a lead instructor on many rookie classes, too many to mention here. He was lead on several promotional process from battalion chief to captain to lieutenant. He was vital in implementing new uh, strategies on how to get the word out about training, uh, created a, a program called Challenges in the Street, which is a YouTube video. It was very informative and um, just about experiences about officers and different calls and how to learn from these calls. Was a station commander at uh, Station 2 in Montgomery County, which is in Tacoma Park, which is a uh, pretty busy station uh, right on the border with uh, Prince George's County uh, in Maryland. Also was a assistant PIO, was uh, one of these guys in front of the camera, not all the time, but some of the time, a very charismatic dude. And with further ado, I, I think uh, uh, there's many more accolades I could say, but I want to get to to this brother to, so he can tell his experience. Kelvin Thomas. Welcome to the show, Kelvin. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, appreciate the invitation. And uh, I definitely appreciate the uh, wonderful introduction. Man, that's uh, very heartwarming to uh, to hear such good things about yourself. Whether they're true or not, we'll see. But uh, for now, it's, uh, it's a pleasure being here. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. For, thanks for coming, man. Appreciate Very it. Very happy to have you. Very yes, happy. Yes, absolutely. And, you, and you're our first guest. Oh, man. That's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So, so yeah, um, just a couple things in the introduction I just want to kind of put out there. Uh, so, yeah, I was a member of the USAR team. Um, I started back in the 90s. You know, I ended my membership in the early 2000s. So I didn't retire um, as a current member of the USAR team. In fact, most of the people in the job wouldn't even remember. They probably weren't around when I was actually a member of the team. But yeah, did spend some time down at the Pentagon, unfortunately. As far as the uh, challenges in the street, I feel like I played a role uh, in that that program. Uh, But all credit to uh, uh, Battalion Chief Mark Davis on that one. I think he was the initial creator now behind the scenes as a representative from the academy of the academy. I certainly had a 
part to play, I would think, in that. But the original uh, concepts for that program, I think, go to uh, the credit goes to Chief Mark Davis. So I just wanted to clear that up just to make sure there aren't any uh, misconceptions down the road. No, that's cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Absolutely. Get into the man, Kelvin Thomas, man. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where were you born? What was life like growing up for you? Like, what were you like as a kid? That tell us about Kelvin Thomas, the the, the origin story. All right, so here's the hard part. <laughs> um, but no, I was born uh, in in Washington D.C. Born and spent you know the first handful of years in D.C. I was born in Southeast D.C. at uh, an old hospital called D.C. General Hospital. I assume some of your audience will. Uh, remember that hospital may have heard of it or whatever. I don't think it exists anymore. But um, so then we, we moved out to the suburbs. I have uh, an older sister and a younger sister and I grew up with both, both my parents. Uh, They were blue collar workers. My father was a uh, uh, truck driver for UPS. He drove tractor trailers for many years. In fact, that was uh, one of my, my goals in life was to become a truck driver, just like my father. And I think I checked that box a little bit in that, you know, when I first got to drive uh, tiller trucks, uh, that was as close as I became to being an actual truck driver. So I always thought of my father because I think and not to get off course here, but he (laughs) he he always said, man, you know, I didn't want to be a fireman, but I always wanted to be the guy in the back of those long trucks steering the back of the truck, you know, so. I always thought of him when it came to that. Uh, but my mother, you know, she was a an administrative assistant or they used to call them secretaries um, back in the day. So, you know, we weren't a poor family. We were the middle of the middle class. Um, so I had a pretty good upbringing, um, you know, two wonderful sisters being a middle child and the only boy. There were some benefits that came with that. And uh <laughs> There were also sure. some drawbacks with that. I got my fair share of, uh, of of spankings back in the day. They call that abuse now, I think. But uh, but yeah, so I was, <laughs> you know, nothing glaring as a as a kid in my upbringing. Uh, nothing real negative. Uh, can't say that I came from the hood. Although some of the places we lived are would be considered uh, hoods now, um, at least to my standards. Um, but, uh, I think I had a wonderful upbringing and, and was mentored by, you know, two of the best. So my interest in the fire department, did, did you ask about that? Yeah. Yeah. Was that one what of the questions? You? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was one of the questions we were, we were definitely interested in. How did you first get interested in the fire department? The funny thing about that is, is, uh, you know, as a kid, I'm thinking around, four years old, three or four years old. And I can remember that far back when we lived in Southeast. And I swear we heard fire trucks and ambulances and probably police cars every day at some point and even at night. And I used to be scared of that noise of those fire trucks screaming down the road. So I'd run in my parents' room and either get in the bed with them or climb under the bed, just scared to death at these noises. And then, uh, you know, as a young kid, I remember seeing an ambulance and I was scared to death of an ambulance. I think I'm still scared of those things, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but, uh, 
But no, I uh, I, I was scared of, and you know, ambulances because I only thought that you know they put dead people in the back of those things. So I wanted nothing to do with an ambulance. You know, I I uh, looked at those things like they were hearses or whatever. But uh, so as I move along, man, I skipped many years. So I actually have pictures of me as a little kid with a fire hat on, you know, around four or five years old, with a fire helmet on, fire trucks in front of me uh, that my pit, my parents took back then. And uh, they're definitely proud of those pictures. They, they had no idea that I would become a professional firefighter. Neither did I, especially at that point. But uh, fast forwarding a number of years to high school, I went to high school out in Upper Marlboro, Maryland high school uh, named Frederick Delcus uh, High School. And right next to that high school, uh, on the other side of the cornfields, was this uh, station. And it's uh, Marlboro Volunteer Fire Department. A good friend of mine, uh, Clifford Billingsley, was he volunteered there while we were in high school. And at first, I didn't pay much attention to it, the fact that he volunteered there, even though we were pretty good friends uh, back then. But I remember uh, bumping into him at uh, a local supermarket, which wasn't too far away. And he I think he was sent up there to pick up lunch or dinner. And he was in the little fire car back then. They had the, the old, I don't know, caprices or whatever they were back then. Fire SUV. <laughs> now, it wasn't an SUV back then, but it was uh, it was a, like a four door sedan type thing. And back then, you know, they either had the one small little circular light on the top or they had the huge big raised on the top of the car. But anyway, that resonated me, with me when I bumped into him at the um, grocery store. And I was like, wow, man, they, they they let you drive that car? He was like, I'm like looking at me kind of crazy. I'm like, yeah, you you actually drive that thing around? He said, yeah, they, they let me come up here, pick up whatever. And I'm like, wow. And uh, he had me come by the, the firehouse, uh, you know, once or twice or whatever. And he said, man, you should, you know, volunteer. To fast forward with that a little bit, uh, I'd gotten a job right out of high school and it's just working a lot of hours, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, he's still volunteering. And at this point, he's starting to submit applications in a few different jurisdictions. And he, he said, hey, Montgomery County is, uh, you know, hiring. And then, man, it was all she wrote. I said, OK. Let me get out there. And my job at that time was an exterminator. Uh, a few people know about that. You know, all the uh, the bug killing jokes and all that stuff that they <laughs> used to have for me. So, yeah, I uh, one of the houses that I used to service, one of the customers I used to service who lived in Calverton at the time, he he kept telling me about this fire department job. He thought that I would be a good candidate for that and, and all those kind of things and told me a little bit about the county and why they were hiring at that time. And so I went to a local library. Oh, actually, I stopped by Station 12 at that time. I didn't know what the station number was. I just knew New Hampshire having to go to that station and uh, get an application because back then everything was on paper. So anyway, between my experience with, with Cliff Billingsley, I guess I credit him for piquing my interest in that because I'd never, even though I'd seen black firefighters before i had never really envisioned them up close and personal like that and the fact that he was doing it and it seemed like the coolest thing to me like man you you riding in the 
you know, fire SUV, quote unquote, man, that was, that was pretty cool. So that piqued my interest. And um, man, I think back then in 1987, I had submitted the application and by early 1988, February 29th, you know, I was actually working, you know, and it was an unbelievable thing. So, so yeah, my man Cliff, that's uh, who really piqued my interest in the job. All right. That's great. That's great. All right. Well, you're on the job now. Where were you assigned and what would you say were your best and your worst station assignments? Gosh. um, Well, I was assigned a number of stations. I actually wrote down all the stations that uh, I was assigned to. Let me count them real quick. Uh, Now, I'm just going to put on some information as you make up your mind just to show the you know, people that necessarily don't know about Montgomery County. Uh, it's a fairly large. We have all the problems of a major city spread across, I don't know, 500, 600 acres from um, uh, urban That'd to square miles. Uh, sub- suburban square miles. Yes. Yeah, sub- uh, square miles. Yeah. From urban to suburban to rural, everything in between. So as uh, Kelvin describes these stations, he's, he's going to go from, you got to do a little bit of everything to to be an officer or to work at, at uh, in Montgomery County because you go from one extreme to the other. So go ahead, tell us tell us more about where where you work. Where you work at. Yeah, so I've sit here and I counted all my assignments in my thirty four year career, and I have seventeen assignments. I didn't it didn't feel like that. Wow, but 17. you know, as, yeah, as you guys know, when you promote, you move. You know, so moving up right. the ranks. Gosh, uh, what is that? Four competitive promotions. That's a that's another move, you know, each time. So anyway, uh, my very first assignment out of the training academy was Station 8. I went to Station 8 C-Shift as a rookie. And uh, gosh, I knew nothing. The only thing I knew about Montgomery County were two places, <laughs> New Hampshire Avenue, because that's where I went to uh, file my application. And then I knew a White Flint Mall because I used to go there to shop sometimes. But other than that, I knew very little uh, about the county. So when uh, we were in the academy, our last days, and we all got our assignments, and they said I saw on the list that I was going to Station 8 C-Shift. And I was like, okay, all right, cool. (laughs) Where is that? And, you know, I remember people in the class at that time telling me how fortunate, how lucky I was to get that assignment. I'm like, okay, what's special about that? Well, it's busy and. Being busy meant nothing to me at the time. I assumed that all fire stations were kind of busy. You know, that's just, you know, I, I assumed as a young person that there was always fires or, you know, sick people. And uh, that held to be true at that station uh, for sure. Um, so I started there and uh, did about a year, some change there. And then back then, which is different about now when you got assigned to corporations, those corporations could transfer you within those corporations, you know, basically at the snap of a finger. Uh, So you didn't have to go through all the rules that you have now regarding transfers, you know, back in 89, 90 and all that stuff. So I got transferred to station 28 and I spent a little time and gosh, obviously 28 is a slower state station than eight. But, man, it felt very country back then. I mean, going from Station 8 where you're running 
I mean, I think the first day on the fire truck as a as minimum staffing, I went to a working fire on West Deer Park. And I think we got there second because we were clearing something else. But anyway, so, I mean, we were I was hitting fire, but going to 28, it was like, oh, my God, I'm out here with all these country bumpkins. And so my fight was to try to get back to eight, which I did. So I got back to station eight. So, again, that's three moves right there, you know, three assignments and got back to station eight and then finished out my two years back then. You know, you do it roughly two years and then it was OK. You're up for day work now. So you got to do day work. So, boom, my number was up. And now, you know, I fought to get out of one slow station, 28. Although I went to some fires there, had some good times there. Uh, and then I was sent to 33 and it was like, oh, my God, I thought I was going to die out there. But each place had its unique uh, things about it. And so. I don't know if I want to list out all the stations unless you guys want to hear. Um, I, actually, I, you know what? I will say it. I'll just go. I, I won't tell a story about each one, but, you know, 828, 833, 3, 2, uh, more to come about station 2. 21, that was after promotion to master and then transferred to 29 uh, as a master 19. Traded with somebody to go to station 1. I knew I was getting promoted to lieutenant uh, and then went to station six as a lieutenant, transferred out of there too slow, went to 18, really loved that place, finished out my time as a lieutenant, went to 15 as a brand new captain, both good and bad at that place. There was a lot going on at that station and then had the opportunity to go back to my favorite station, station two, as a captain where I finished out uh, my my years as a captain, station commander, captain, and all that. And then went to battalion four as a temporary uh, battalion chief, got promoted into the position, remained there for a while as a permanent chief, and then got to go back to battalion one. It's something about this battalion one thing. You guys work there, so maybe you agree or disagree. I know you love it up there at uh, 28. <laughs> What's not to love, but, man, I had to get back to battalion one. But anyway – uh, finished up my my time, my entire career at, at the training academy the last six, six or seven years, however long it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just just to preface what you said, what I said earlier, just to as a reminder, everyone, I just earlier I said that this county uh, is a large county and it and it goes from uh, urban to suburban to rural. You mentioned all those stations go from urban, which is battalion one. Battalion One is uh, an urban area. It's by it's more city, more cityscape. Uh, twenty eight eight is a little more suburban, but still a lot of populated. And thirty three and twenty nine, we're talking about these areas were very rural. So, so we're 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 talking about you doing all those things in between. You know what I'm saying? But I also want to dive a little bit into you mentioned uh, all these these uh, transfers that you did uh, uh, from station to station. Some. Uh, you wanted to, uh, and others because of promotion. What was it like to, what was that transition from firefighter, E3, backstep, taking instruction, you learning the job, transition to actually the driver, which is in, in our county, uh, it's a master firefighter, which is basically the chauffeur. It's, it's called in some places, the main driver drives every day. 
And what was that transition from that to riding the front seat is what we call it, the officer that makes all the decisions. If, if you can talk us through what that transition was and then to captain and to battalion chief and what was it like for you uh, as far as your mental makeup, how you had transition and some things that you've learned. Okay. Uh, good question. Now there's a lot that goes into that transition. I tend to believe that the transition from driver, I mean, that, or just firefighter to Lieutenant or from master to Lieutenant are one of the biggest jumps you're going to make in your career. Um, I could get into why, but Back to that transition piece, all those stations that I mentioned um, before I got promoted, you know, just looking back at my list, I'd been to I'd been transferred five or six times before I made master firefighter and working in those various areas. Some of the busier stations in the county, station eight, station three, back then station two, those were some of the busier stations in terms of at least going to fires and running various things. So all those places helped me build up to the transition from master firefighter, or I would say firefighter to Lieutenant. I became a driver while I was at station eight, a driver, engine driver at station eight. Uh, When I went to three, I became a truck driver there. So all this occurred before my third anniversary on the job, which, oh, I'm, you know, looking back, you know, at Station 8 and a lot of those stations, there was a, you know, a lot of clicks and you had to be trusted. You had to be liked. You kind of had to <laughs> know the, the right people in order to get checked out to drive on these things. And I, I think looking back now that I've had time to reflect in my career, I think I was pretty persistent. Doesn't mean I was good, but I was definitely persistent at getting these things done because I would look at other people and say, well, why not me? Man, they're driving. That seems like a cool thing to do. You know, what does it take? So anyway, all those things have fed into my ability to transition from firefighter to master. And even I go back to my days at Station 2. I showed up there and I regarded some of those guys And this is not taken away from any of the other assignments that I've been in. But, man, when I envision like pure firemen, I don't know if that's a great word to say nowadays. You got to be a little mindful. Being a a fireman slash firefighter uh, down there. Guys, I learned so much about the trade. It felt literally it felt like running a food on the stove felt like a working fire because we ran a lot of box alarms back in the day. And of course the truck was down there. And so a lot of the little intangibles that you uh, had to go through, you know, having your gear on, taking the right tools. We ran everything. It seemed like we ran everything like it was going to be the working fire. So that in my mind, I, I took that mindset back then to just be ready. And that was, why I love that place back then. So uh, in during my transition period from being a firefighter three uh, back then, you know, I had people that I looked up to and they allowed me to, once I made the list, uh, master firefighter promotional list, they allowed me to begin riding the front seat of the engine, getting practice, getting practice. 
I'm still being held accountable. They allow me to mess up and learn some things, but it felt natural to me because I'd been driving at that point for so long. Um, you know, I pumped, <laughs> pumped the engine on fires. I've driven the ladder truck on lots of fires and stuff like that. So that transition wasn't as heavy. And back then I should say, master firefighters rode the front seat a lot. Um, so get promoted. I've transitioned. I'm an actual master firefighter. I go to station 21 and it's a, it's a bedroom community. Um, mm-hmm. Station 21's first due area, you know, a couple uh, probably high rise buildings, some garden apartments, but, you know, relatively speaking, it's a bedroom community. So I went there and at that time it was just myself and the captain nights and weekends, you know, so every day after five o'clock, and on weekends, we were the only two career firefighters in that firehouse. So we depended heavily on volunteer staffing. So, you know, a lot of times it would be hit or miss. So it would be me and the captain driving an ambulance, you know, picking up a sick person and <laughs> nights and weekends. So not a bad firehouse, certainly, uh, you know, probably middle of the pack in terms of the number of runs it runs right now, I'm guessing. Um, but that dynamic of riding the ambulance and, and doing all that, it wasn't the best of situations because you just never knew what the day was going to look like. So, again, I've transitioned at this point. And the thing about master firefighters is back then when the captain took off, the master firefighter would step up and run that station. So I would be basically the acting captain whenever my captain was off and they didn't have, I don't think they had float lieutenants back no, then. They did at that time. They, they would just pull a lieutenant. Yeah. They would just pull a lieutenant from another firehouse, a dual service house and put them in there, which was kind of rare or hire one on overtime. So I spent a lot of my time as a master firefighter, actually acting as an officer. So the transition from master firefighter to lieutenant to me in my career was a relatively seamless process. And I might say, might add that I went to station 29, which at that time had an engine, rescue squad, ladder truck, medic unit, ambulance, underwater rescue team was housed there. This is before the USAR team was actually running out of that house. And I was a USAR member also back then. 29 was at that point, not what it is now. It's Germantown. It was, I mean, there was a few stations outside of there that are more rural, but it was definitely considered rural. It was not, uh, it was not as busy. You run some calls, but it wasn't busy at all. Yeah. And that was another back then bedroom type community. Now this predates station 22, station 34, station 35. It was nine and 29 with the two houses up there. And then at nights, nights and weekends, again, that place would downsize in in terms of staffing. So one or two of the master firefighters at that station had to ride the front seat of something. A lot of times since I wasn't a uh, underwater rescue team member at that time, I was a junior firefighter on that shift. I would get detailed out. But uh, so, again, 50, 50, probably 50 percent of my time as a master firefighter back then was spent riding the front seat. So, the, again, the transition was was seamless uh, when I got promoted to lieutenant because I had already been 
I had already run stations, single house stations, had already uh, ridden the front seat. Fortunately, I've got to, you know, do fires and crashes and all those things as an officer. So I felt like I was prepared at that time. I want to take you back to when you were just a, a firefighter, a backstep firefighter. I want you to tell us about that first fire that you ran where you were like, wow, this is the fire department. Like, this is what the fire department was about. The, tell us about a, a fire that was that was like that for you. Gosh, you know, I think let me let me rewind back to the training academy, because that's when I first fell in love with the job. You know, when we started doing live burns now, live burns back then aren't what they are today, <laughs> at you least know. in our county. We were we had pallets back then, which is, you know, they still use pallets today, but they were stoking the fire with, with diesel fuel back then. They had coffee, big coffee cans full of diesel fuel, and they would just dump them on the fire and those things would would just blaze. So my first time being on the nozzle and actually going in there, and of course you got instructors yelling at you, get in there and use those, have the right pattern, you know, have the, the nozzle bled down, all that kind of stuff. And I got into that burn room and I was like, oh my God, this is nothing like I've ever experienced in my life. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. I couldn't wait to be on a rotation again to get back in there. So that's where my love affair really began for the fire department. But then, you know, again, going back to uh, station eight, now I'm on the fire truck right out of the training academy. Of course, we spent back then a couple of weeks not counting as staffing. So I would rotate from the ambulance to the engine, you know, back and forth during that period, a few shifts. So again, I remember the very first fire I went to was uh, like a townhouse on West Deer Park uh, Road. And we're clearing something. Now, I don't, I could kind of tell by the tones, if they, the tones went off for a lot of time, for a long time, I knew it was something kind of big. And back then, you know, you sat backwards on the fire truck and there might have been a little glass behind you separating you from the officer. And we had three people on the engine. And I remember, you know, the lieutenant back then. Is it appropriate to say names? <laughs> uh, <honestly laughs> you can. You can say you can say names. Uh, but my first lieutenant was Lieutenant Bendel, Bill Bendel. So I remember him either tapping on the glass or sliding the glass back and saying, hey, you know, get your stuff on going to a fire or something, something of that nature. So we get there, uh, smoke showing. And I remember I'm getting off the engine. I got my stuff on. I go to pull a line, pull a cross lay off the engine. And he's like, come on, you know, there ain't no time for effing up. And I'm like, wow. I felt like I was moving fast or whatever, but we dragged this thing, go up into there and uh, second arriving on it. So there was still a little bit of fire, but there wasn't much, but man, I was excited. And gosh, during my time at Station 8, we went to, gosh, it was a number of fires, it seemed like. It seemed like almost every time I rode the engine, it, it felt like I was going, I went to a fire that day. So my first experience on that was like, wow, I can't believe I'm actually doing this job. And some of the older guys who seemed uh, a little pessimistic at that point, I did not understand why people complained about stuff. I just, 
I was like, this is the greatest job in the world. Like on the way to work, I got people, you know, figuratively give me the finger. But on the fire truck, it's like everybody loves you. They're happy to see you and you get to go to fires and all the things that people, all the incidents, you in your car, you see a car accident, everybody's rubbernecking. I'm pulling up to those things and being a part of helping people at those incidents. It was great. It was great. Your transition to, I understand you said you mentioned the the part from Massa to Captain riding the front seat, but the also the well, another big transition is going from no, no longer running the calls from the fire trucks point of view, but actually being in charge of several stations and several captains and running an incident to yourself. That transition from captain to battalion chief, what was that like? That was a challenging jump. So again, you know, going from firefighter to lieutenant, that's a pretty big jump in my opinion. It may be different for other people, but that's pretty big. Going from somebody who is just looking out for making sure you do your particular job, uh, maybe have a few people with you to somebody who's in charge of a entire station or fire truck, that's a pretty big jump. But then going from captain to battalion chief, is a pretty big jump. You know, you might go nowadays on a fire truck, you have tactical command. You have command of the incident for a few minutes and you can argue, you know, how much command do you really have in those positions and all that kind of stuff. But that's about it. You still worried about your crew, making sure you carry out, you know, your task at hand and all that stuff. But going to a battalion chief, now you have, uh, you know, several stations. Uh, you have the pressure of pulling up to an event and managing an event. And you're it. I mean, there's a lot of liability, a lot of responsibility on your shoulder. To me, that is a huge jump. When I got promoted, of course, I got the, I got the transition, so to speak. So I go from a captain to a temporary battalion chief, I guess that ain't much of a transition, only from a, a pay standpoint, being in a temporary uh, position. I wasn't actually a bump up to begin with. I was the actual battalion chief, temporary battalion chief. So I had a badge. They called me battalion chief. There's a whole other story behind that, but it ended up being a, going back to being a captain. Um, in the uh, battalion chief uh, seat for the rest of my temporary tenure there. But, uh, you know, managing incidents and knowing that there's a possibility that things could go wrong, things could get, people could get hurt under your watch, that's pretty heavy. You know, as a, as a officer, fortunately, being in all those places, getting the experience that I was able to get, being able to watch some good people along the way as a unit officer, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was nervous um, during those times at all. You know, it was like, okay, the joints on fire, let's get in there and put it out, have a good time, that sort of thing. Uh, But as a battalion chief, Oh my God, I remember the first incident that I ran and I, I was just nervous. I, you know, could barely even write down anything. Um, I could talk, and stuff like that. But I did not anticipate being so nervous 
um, as a battalion chief on on uh, on incidents, at least uh, in my early days. People would often tell me, oh, man, you sound good on the radio. Well, that ain't how I felt. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's one of the tricks of the job is maintaining a good, smooth decorum and, and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes you, it's okay to let people know that, hey, you're really concerned about some things and that needs to transmit, but you can't be too excited in some of those things. So, yeah, that was a pretty big transition. What what were some of your mentors, man? I mean, you you um somebody that really uh made you say that guy's doing it right, that person's doing it right. I want to I mean, you you've learned from a lot of people obviously. But what was the uh the one mentor or mentors that really you know, helped you in your career? Well, I would say I would I've had several uh mentors in my career. Um some people a lot of people I looked up to uh, in the career, and I don't think I wouldn't say that they necessarily mentored me on a personal level. I just looked up to them because I thought they were good in various aspects of the job. And so that's the, the thing about this thing. You can affect people from afar and mentor them without ever saying two words to them sometimes. And uh, so I had a lot of people like that. I'll go back to, and certainly there were good people at all the places I've been to. And I know if I start name dropping here, I'm going to miss some people. And uh, and that's probably not fair. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, people at Station 2, people like uh, Mark or Mick McKenzie was a huge uh, influence, I would say, in my career. And, uh, you know, a guy like that now, OK, he's rough on the edges. We're not talking about him as the, uh, the, the person, so to speak. But as a fireman, yeah. man, that that was one of the people you wanted to follow. And, you know, I would watch people like that back in the day, even his his boss way back in the day, uh, Captain Maltra, who taught the trucks class. At one point, I had a love affair of trucks you know, doing truck work and all that kind of stuff. It, it was, it was great. You know, I had a good friend of mine, uh, Maynard Saunders. Now, some of these folks were wild, you know, considered wild and maybe out of control, but a lot of them, there was a method to the madness and being a fireman. That's early in my career. After I left Gaithersburg, Rockville, went to station two, at least from my experience, it didn't matter what you look like who you were, what race you were, any of that stuff. If you were considered a fireman, that was it. That's that's how you got judged. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think a lot of places actually went by that. But those are two names. Uh, they work at Company 2. Some of uh, the other names I could throw out there would be, you know, people like John Tippett, who retired as uh, a battalion chief in the county, uh, John Gallo, Mark Davis, um, one of the closer people that I, I think I got mentored by uh, was uh, Chief Houston, Eric Houston, Chief Bailey. You know, lots of stories about Chief Bailey. And, and again, these people are judged. People judge people however they want. That's that's fine. I have no control of that. Right. But being an influence in my career, those are some of the names of people who influenced me. Not all of them directly mentored me, per se. But 
certainly influenced me. I wanted to model uh, aspects of my career by what I saw from these people. I know I'm missing a, a whole bunch of other people. It's all uh, right. <laughs> yeah, I, it, this this gosh, you take a little. It, it's weird. You take you take influence even from some of the bad people. You can learn from some of the people you didn't think did well in certain aspects of the job. And you're like, man, or at least I know what not to do. Some of the things I don't want to do or some of the traps that you've seen people get caught into. You're like, Oh, I want to avoid that. So man, if, if you're open to learning, if you're an active learner, you'll learn from anybody. So that, that mentor question is, is kind of tough because there's so many people that factors into you being either a good employee a bad employee, I think. Now, Kelvin, you know, um, doing this for as long as you have, that it's not always what you necessarily say that's influential. It's the way, it's what you do. And people are watching. And what you do, they 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 model themselves on what you do. Okay? Right. So you, you, we can all take something from that. But you modeled yourself after the way somebody runs their business. That That's the way you should do it. I think I want to do it something similar to that. That's the way you should do it the right way. What was something the general public misunderstands about being in the fire service? Um, I think one thing is, is uh, I think the, the general public probably does not see the preparation it takes to become a firefighter. They know we go to fire school and all that kind of stuff. But in the stations, the certifications, the training that it takes to you know, to, to ride an ambulance or to ride on a fire truck or be on a specialty team. I'm not sure the public really understands all that it takes to do those things. And so that requires a lot of training, not just in a formal setting, but an informal setting in the firehouse, you know, having conversations with your fellow firefighters and all that stuff. I don't think the, I think some, I think the perception from some members of the public think that, you know, firefighters sit around and play cards and checkers and and watch TV. Uh, I guess in this age, it would be just sit around and sit on your phone or, or some sort of device. No, it, I mean, some of that occurs, of course. You need some downtime. But, uh, you know, I think that's probably a, a misconception that the public might have of, of firefighters. Yeah, I, I think that yeah, when, when the public looks at what we do or what they think that we do, you know, they look at TV shows like Chicago Fire or I think Station 19 is, is one of the shows or, or oh my God. Tacoma. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't even know all the shows out there. Yeah. But they see nothing but like action every shift or all this this drama going on all the time. And, and of course, there's... Like we have our times where there's exciting things going on, and and yes, fire department does have plenty of internal drama, for sure. But you're right; there's a yeah. lot of preparation that goes on. Like there, there's a lot of training. There's a lot of getting yourself ready to be prepared to see all of the things that we see, and it, it's a lot. It, it it is definitely a lot. Speaking about that. So you've shared about a lot of the experiences that you've had working at different firehouses and working with different people and getting to drive the fire trucks and getting to act as an officer and getting to actually be an officer and and getting to be 
a battalion chief in charge of these big calls. What's a belief that you had when you first got on the job that changed the closer towards you got towards retirement? There's, I think there's a number of things that may have changed over my career um, as I got closer to retirement. But I think one thing that's glaring is how quickly time passes. When you're young in the career, you don't realize how fast time. It just seems like time is just moving along very slowly and you've got all the time in the world. But as you get closer to the, the end of your career, you realize, oh, my God. Time is moving so fast now. It just it seems like the more time you have in, you know, in the department, the quicker time seems to move and uh, it moves even quicker once you're gone. <laughs> it feels that way. But mm-hmm. uh, that, that's that's what I could think of, um, you know, for that. Yeah, the time definitely goes by fast. I mean, I I, I know I, I've got 18 years on the job. I know Tony's got. 30 plus and it's, it's, it seems like a blink at times. Yeah. You know, you could remember like uh, when you first started your career and you're talking to people on the shift and, you know, you got the guy that's saying uh, or woman that's saying, Hey, I got 10 years on the job. You're like, Oh my God, they got 10 years already. And then the blink of an eye, you're, you're at 10 years and, and look at you, you're at, you know, 17, 18 years, Tony, you're at 30. Where did the time go? It's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, yeah, it, it moves it moves by fast, no doubt about it. So you know, we all you know, as you get along in your career, you know that that people start asking you the same question: When are you going to retire? When you retire? So when when did you know it was time to retire? And when did you start thinking about it, like something that you needed to do soon? I got serious about thinking about retirement. Once I got to about uh, probably 28 years on the job, it, it started hitting me then. You know, we're geared probably uh, at least back when I came into service, we were thinking about 30 years anyway. You know, you could retire in 30 years. That just seemed like such a long time. And it was, but uh, probably around year 28, there's a few things that happen. You you top out your salary and all that. But I think that the other thing that really geared me towards retiring uh, was when I got promoted to battalion chief. You become somewhat of a loner. You're by yourself. You don't belong to a certain company and all that kind of stuff. And so you're already transitioning, in my opinion, towards retirement. So I think once I got to the 28, 30 year mark, um, I think I entered, entered the drop at about 31 years, you know, is when I really got even more serious about actually pulling the trigger on retirement. For those not in the fire department, what what is the drop? Oh, uh, deferred retirement option uh, plan. So in our case, we could get into that, into that plan for three years. So you're basically a retired employee, but you're still collecting your salary and your pension is actually going into a fund and earning interest and all that stuff. So you get that lump sum of money at the end of your drop term. Again, in my case, in our case, it's three years. 
and you're still collecting a pension while you're in that. You can do everything that you were doing before. You can actually get promoted. You can work overtime. You can do all the stuff doing that three year term. But when that three years is up, you got to go. You can't change your mind and say, oh, I don't want to retire now. So at least that's not that's the current situation um, in the county. You can't do that. Yeah, that's a that's a good program. It's, you know, for anybody listening that uh, has young uh, people or know somebody, it's a that's a good perk for Montgomery County. If you're, you know, they're taking applications right now. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Tell us about your last shift and what it felt like to walk out the firehouse for the last time. All right. So. What I planned on my last couple of days. So, again, I'm at the training academy. I'm in an administrative uh, position. So I'm basically virtually walking out of an office for the last time. There are some differences. <laughs> there are some differences. I can remember thinking when I was in the firehouse, I was like, man, uh, when I was assigned to a firehouse, I'm thinking, man, my last day is going to be tough to really walk out of a firehouse for the last time and never, and know that that's it. That's going to be tough. And so then when I got to, uh, when I made battalion chief and then I ultimately ended up at the training academy, I'm like, oh, well, that, that's not going to be too tough. You know, uh, of course, I'm going to miss the people. I still, you know, went to work. We had a family type atmosphere at the training academy. Um, I think we all liked each other and, and all that kind of stuff. It's still different. It's not not like being in the firehouse. So I had a last day at the academy. They gave me a wonderful send off, send off. Uh, the chief up there, Beth Sanford and uh, a few of the others. Oh, man, they, they just gave me a wonderful send off. So that last day there had people, you know, family come up. People visit me from the department and all that stuff. And it was wonderful. That that felt good. But then I said, well, my actual last day, I want to go to the place where I was a captain, last where I last worked in the county, which was Station 2, Tacoma Park. And the other backstory, part of that story was when I got promoted to temporary captain, I made, I mean, I'm sorry, temporary battalion chief, I didn't get a send-off. I, I was leaving as the captain station commander at station two, I was leaving on a temporary basis. So I expected to come back in three to six months and resume being the captain there and just sit on the list until an opening came. I never went back. So uh, I, I think it was about a year's time has it had elapsed. So I never got that true closure that most people get when they get that big promotion they leave the station, you know, they get to have the last meal with their shift and, and all that kind of stuff. We didn't get to do that because when I left, I went to a whole nother shift with the A shift. So I'm with a whole group of people. We're not on the same schedule, all that kind of stuff. But nevertheless, I uh, planned my last day at station two. I didn't advertise it big time. Some people heard through word of mouth. I went to ride the engine company, which I did. You know, so that felt good. I had some family, friends, some people from the department stopped by. Some of my old shift mates from other departments stopped by. It was a great day. We ran a couple, I don't know, two or three EMS calls in Prince George's County. Nothing exciting about that. 
brought back some memories. And I remember we ran our last call at like 4.50 and I'm on day work. I'm getting off at five o'clock. Um, we're back in the engine and it gets dispatched to another call someplace. And so I had somebody film me taking my gear off the engine for the last time. And at this point, my family and friends had left because we were out on calls. So I'm the only person in the station. The engine's leaving the station and I am a mess, you know? Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's even hard to talk about it. It's like, wow. So, so yeah, they left and that was the, woo, that was hard. Yeah. yeah. That sounds very touching. Uh, yeah. I can yeah, imagine. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so yep. now that you're out, you have retired. All the fanfare is basically uh, kind of subsided. People are moving on. What's What was your first month like being retired? First month. And, and let me quickly remind, um, rewind for, for a second, just a quick second. I could have avoided <laughs> tormenting myself like that had I just left the academy on my last day. It was certainly kind of sad leaving the academy and all that and leaving, you know, my academy family. But nothing replaces leaving the firehouse for the last time. And I know if there are any retirees listening to this, they probably feel the same way. Nothing, just nothing, nothing beats that. But to your your latest question, I plan and you when you're planning your retirement day and all that stuff, you can plan which month you want to retire in and all that kind of stuff. I purposely planned to leave in uh, July. I wanted to I wanted to leave when the weather was warm. My family and I were already used to kind of traveling. We had started traveling a lot, a lot more in the previous three years. So I knew that there would be things to do when I retired. So I hit the ground running. We had a trip planned probably, uh, I think it was a week or two after my uh, retirement actually gone into effect on uh, July 1st. So it was kind of seamless, you know, so I was busy doing stuff. So it wasn't sitting around the house gloating on the fact that, man, I'm retired and oh, my God, what am I going to do? So I had plans on things that I wanted to do. We had vacations to go on. So we were busy. So that first month of retirement was like, it was cool. It was just like being on vacation, really. <laughs> uh, like I just had a, a month of leave. So it was, you know, I didn't have any weird feelings or anything. It was, it was, it was crazy. So, so to, to piggyback off of that, after that first month of uh, activity settles down and the, the smoke clears, so to speak, what was that like after that where it kind of hits you now that, oh, wow, I am retired. So now what? You know, the smoke's been clearing for the last year and a half, I would say. But I think now um, I talk to, you know, some of the retirees. And one thing about retirees, you when you're retired, you begin to hear the same stories over and over again. And you get to reflect on your career and all that. I've done that, been doing that. Um, if you think you can reflect on your career while you're working, yeah, you can do some of that. But when you're gone uh, and that smoke clears, so to speak, 
you get some clarity on some of the things you've accomplished, some of the things you wanted to accomplish and all that kind of stuff, the impact on people, uh, the impact on you and your family. You begin to get clarity on all that kind of stuff. So it's been more of an ongoing process, I think. So what were some of the the realizations that you came to in those moments in time? (laughs) Realizations. Uh, Not having to get up every morning and go somewhere (laughs) and go to work. That was one of the the realizations that I enjoyed personally. Um, I enjoyed that a lot. You know, I was never a morning person. I thought that I would become a morning person at some point in my career. That never happened. I just got up because I had to. (laughs) And uh, I think I had very few instances of being late to work for any reason or whatever. But um, so that was a big thing, not having to get up and and go to work. I think I was ready for that change uh, when it happened. The other big thing, spending time with family. Now, I had this that part of the transition had occurred when I went on day work at the training academy. So now I'm off nights and weekends. And so now I'm starting to make all the birthday parties or most of them, the family events, family outings, got to go out with friends. So now I'm on a normal work cycle uh, with the the rest of the general public. Um, And I would still work overtime and stuff like that, but I got to pick and choose when I wanted to do those types of things. So Spending time with friends and families and be a, to be available, uh, that was one of the big um, uh, changes. Yeah, that's that's huge because for the non-fire department folks listening, every fire department is different in terms of the schedule that they work, but a lot of fire departments work some type of shift work schedule where it might be Uh, 24 hours you're on duty and then you have a certain amount of days off. And when you do that, you miss a lot of family functions. Yes, you're you're off a lot. And that's great. That has advantages. But a lot of times when your shift has to fall on a on a holiday, you're working that holiday and you're not getting to spend time with your family or just when uh, your shift falls on something that that your family has going on, on on a Saturday or a Sunday where the majority of people are off during the weekend. No, you have to work. And so you're, you're missing that. So I can imagine that's a, a real big one where now you have that time to spend with family and you don't have to worry about missing anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was huge. And another thing was sleep deprivation. Um, you know, shift work was great. Shift work was absolutely great because it allowed you to work other jobs, do other things and all that kind of stuff. But how many times have you gone home and, you know, your family says, well, how many calls did you run in the middle of the night? And you're like, ah, we didn't do anything last night, but you're still tired. You still needed to go take a nap, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Sleep in the firehouse is just not the way it is at home. You don't get to get, and I'm not a sleep expert, so I don't know all the different levels of sleep, but you never or rarely ever get into a deep sleep because you're always anticipating getting up. And running out. So when you got home, a lot of times you may be physically up, <laughs> but you know, you're tired. When you if you got young kids and stuff like that, and they needed your attention when you got home and you know you needed a nap, even though you didn't run any calls the night before. I mean, 
it, it, it's rough. So years of sleep deprivation and not even realizing it was one of the glaring changes that I got to pick up on when I first went to day work and then uh, even more once I retired. Yeah, sleep deprivation is a big one. Um, that's a constant. I think I mention it all the time. I think I mentioned it in, in the intro to the show. That's uh, that's omnipresent for every single firefighter. You're always a little bit sleep deprived, and that just comes with the, just comes with the territory. It's part of the sacrifice, along with sacrificing time with your family. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah. But now that you retire, what are the things that are most important to you now? And what are some of the challenges that you face and how are you dealing with them? Things that are more dear to me, just, you know, really uh, spending time with my family and friends. I'm available most of the time to, to do that kind of stuff. So that, that really means a lot. It is easy to take it for granted back when we were working, not intentionally, but you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm making this money. I got to get this bag. So this overtime's available. Sorry. You know, I'm there in spirit. I'll, I'll catch the next birthday party or whatever it is. Right. So now um, that I'm just I'm free to spend more time. That is a huge thing. That's one of the things that if I could have changed things, maybe uh, I would have been uh, more receptive to that. You know, just having things to do, things that you're interested in. Those are things that are near and dear to my heart. Uh you know, I wanted to get into the business field. I wanted to use some different brain cells, so to speak. So, you know, I wanted to become an entrepreneur and I'm still working on that. I built, you know, a couple businesses and things like that, uh, real estate. So having those outlets, other things to do, other interests, I think are very important to probably having a successful retirement. So at this stage of your life, I mean, now that you're retired and you've been for a little bit, is is that would you say that brings you joy? What brings you joy? Um, again, and this thing's going to go back to family, you know, mostly. I've got uh, grandkids now, so spending time with them really brings me joy. The, the things, the things that I just mentioned uh, about having interests in other things, still learning, you know, still I'm still an active learner and other facets that brings me joy talking about the fire department. Uh, you know, I still have, um, you know, and I say fortunately, and I'm honored to do that, but I still have people calling me up. Um, I've still, I've sat down with people and gone over assessment center stuff. My, my son is, he is studying to be a, an officer in Alexandria fire department. So they have a, uh, a acting officer book, if you will, so he comes over and we go over different aspects of, uh, of being an officer or being a leader. And so I still get to do those types of things. I still get to have conversations about mostly things that went well uh, in my personal career. And so those things bring me joy. When I feel like I'm helping somebody do something, even though it's, I'm not picking people up off the pavement or actively or physically putting a fire out, I'm still able to help people in different ways. That's it right there for me. That brings me a lot of joy. That's great. That's great. You're continuing to, to pay it forward. Cause uh, I know we, we pride that 
a lot in the fire service is passing on knowledge and sharing information. So, so that's great that you're still getting a chance to, to do that and, and share what you've learned. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I, um, I might add to that, you know, we all like, and I know we're probably wrapping this thing up, but I know, you know, we all like to be a part of something. And, you know, one of the hardest things for a retiree is leaving this part of your family. And a lot of us are still connected in different ways. We are different groups, retiree groups and all that stuff. But it's still where the rubber meets the road for a lot of us. You know, I still find myself listening to calls and pulling things up and listening and scrutinizing and all. this. And so that sense of family, fire department family, I don't know if that ever leaves you. And so it's still nice to be wanted. It's still nice to have people call you who are still actively in the fire service will call you and ask your opinion of something, you know, that they're trying to work through on a job. And that, man, that, that, that still feels good to be connected in those ways in the fire department. Absolutely. Absolutely. And those that let you know that people still remember you and still respect you and are still thinking about you. Right. Right. We all love to be valued in some way. No, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thinking of that, if you could be remembered for one thing in the fire service in Montgomery County, what would it be? Um, just being a fireman, being a good fireman. If uh, people can remember me for that, that's it. That's it. Yeah. We, we can talk about all the other stuff, the ranks and uh, accomplishments and experiences and all that stuff. It comes down plain and simple. If if people can regard me as being a, a good fireman, mission accomplished in my book. Yeah, I think I think every firefighter listening to this can resonate with that. Like if at the end of the day you have the respect of your peers and you know that people want to work with you, they respect you, they know that, hey, if you're on the fire truck with them, it's going to be okay. That that is probably one of the highest marks of praise that a, that a firefighter could get. Uh, I totally agree. Totally. Yeah, yeah, no question. We talk about um, family. We talk about um, this is a family. It's it's, it's your family away from your family, and uh, you get a lot of young guys that come in and 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 they're eager to see what you do and how you do it. And it's all new to them. What would you say? to a new firefighter coming in or thinking about joining the fire service. And what do you think are the traits needed, most needed to be successful in the fire service? I think, uh, you know, come in with the right attitude, right attitude to become an active learner in the fire department. There's a lot to, to learn in the fire service. Uh, you will be learning until the day you walk out the door. And even then, in my case, I'm still learning stuff and getting clarity on some things about the fire service. So there's a lot to learn. So for a new person who's thinking about the job, hey, have the right attitude first. I feel like you got to fall in love with the job or at least some aspects of the job, but the attitude is everything. And the attitude, in my opinion, comes from within. I can't change somebody else's attitude. So if you if you're right coming in and you you're you're ready to be a sponge and learn, then I think you'll be good at what you're doing. You'll be good at your job. Yeah, uh, a good attitude will, will carry you very, very far. I, I definitely agree 
with that. Kind of on, on that same vein, but on the opposite side, uh, what would you say to the firefighter that's going to retire in a few years? What would you have to say to him or her? Uh, make sure your finances are straight, that you're ready for it. You need need to have a plan B and C because um, we all know that your your salary will reduce. So your lifestyle needs to match your income. If not, you've got to find some other things to do. Be ready for relationships to evolve, whether it's your marriage, your relationships with your kids, your you're changing into, you know, a retired person, you're available, this, that, and the other, and just have outlets, have some other things that you're, that, that, um, that piques your interest and and stuff like that. So make sure you've done your research and you've prepared for it. And if you're already in the drop and you've already signed your papers, just do what you can do to prepare yourself uh, for that actual day. So just be ready. It's, it's, it's a, it's a process. Yeah, it is a process. And one of the last couple questions here, and uh, thank you for your time. Once again, man, this has been excellent. When you wake up and look in the mirror now, how do you feel about the guy looking you back in the mirror? Some days I love him <laughs> and other days I'm like, hmm. <laughs> uh, but, but no, um, I feel good about who I am um, as a person. Uh, I feel good about uh, what I've done in my career. And now that I've gotten a chance to reflect on some things, I'm mostly proud of what I've accomplished in my, you know, professionally. And uh, of course we would change some things if we could, but that's just, that's life. So I feel mostly good about where I am, but Hey, in life, there's a, there's also a process and we all evolve to try to be that perfect person. Although we know we'll never achieve that, but there's still something to strive for. Absolutely. You want to do the best, uh, but now you know more, you do better. Yeah. Yeah. And and I would say and just just real quickly back to the retire, you know, this retirement thing from a person like me, I was fortunate enough to be able to prepare for retirement. I walked out on my own terms, but there are a slew of people who have been forced into retirement for medical reasons, other reasons. And so they didn't necessarily have that time to prepare. And I'm not I don't know if I have all the answers for them. But maybe you guys will do another story on the retirees who were forced out for various reasons, because that's a whole nother dynamic. And I feel for some of them who didn't get the chance to mentally prepare for this because it's really life changing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and we, we have some plans to, to talk to folks like that who didn't necessarily get to retire on their terms. Yeah, I'm sure that's an entirely different dynamic. Um, absolutely. So as, as we're kind of landing this plane. Uh, we want to throw one more question out to you. So uh, when you were working, you had a responsibility uh, to the people that you served as a firefighter, officer, chief. But now being retired, what's the responsibility that you have to yourself? Good question. Just be true to who I am. You know, I don't have to put on any different hats at this at this moment. I don't have to be somebody who I'm not, 
I don't necessarily have to be the professional. In other words, when I was on the job, I had to walk out. I put that uniform on and I morphed not into a, a, a different person, but I had a different set of responsibilities and things like that. I don't have those. So when I look in the mirror and I see this person, I am who I am. And um, and, and and that's it. That's it. Yeah, it's important for people to understand that you're retired from this job, but not from life. That um, exactly. It, it's uh, it's the closing of a chapter, but the book isn't written completely yet. So no. yeah, that's an important part of this whole. I hope we get that we're trying to uh, communicate to people, especially retirees and people that still work. Yeah, and and last thing, I always feel a responsibility, even though I'm no longer active in the fire department. I am who I am, but I still, in the back of my mind, have a responsibility to uphold the the fire service in a way because I'm always a retired firefighter and a retired fire chief. So I certainly don't want to shed a negative light on that profession that you guys are still working hard to uphold. And so, so yeah, I'm retired, but I still have a responsibility to be a, I think a good person, a good citizen, not necessarily for the fire department, but uh, because I'm still known as somebody who was affiliated with that. So that does still bear some, some responsibility in life, I think. Yes, sir. You, you still carry that, that, that honor of, of the profession that we have. Like it still goes with you, even though you you no longer do it as a job, but you still carry that pride with you. Absolutely. I want to thank you again. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for um, sharing your life, uh, your experiences, and hopefully passing on some good bits for the people that that are listening. And Rush, you got one more question? Yeah. So, Kelvin, if people wanted to, to get in touch with you, uh, where, where can they find you or how could they get in touch with you? Uh, people can email me um, on my email address at Kelvin, K-E-L-V-I-N, 702 at me, M-E dot com. Uh, just shoot me an email and uh, we can I'd love to hear from anybody who's who needs to reach out to me. Thank you for uh, for your service and thank you for sharing it with everyone else. Hey, it's been an honor and a privilege to be on your first show. Man, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm still excited and, uh, and very appreciative of this opportunity. So y'all keep uh, holding that torch and doing what you do. And this is going to be great. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.